Hello, I'm Scott Berry, your co-host for Immigration Nation. The podcast, Klein Powell, is behind the camera today and work in production. We have a very special guest with us all the way. We're in Dallas. You're all the way from Beverly Hills, California. That's right. Lorraine D'Alessio. Hi, it's such a pleasure and honor to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. Really nice to meet (laughs) y'all. Lorraine, tell them a little bit about your firm. Absolutely. So we are uh, one of the leading immigration law firms in the area of extraordinary ability. Um, That is for those that stand out and have a distinction in their fields and also qualify for a visa or even a green card to come and work in the United States. We are also a full service immigration law firm and we also do business transactional corporate as well. The old one talks a lot about extraordinary abilities, right? But that's kind of vague. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about who might be a fit for the O1 and how do you even define extraordinary? Absolutely. So extraordinary ability is defined as this individual having a distinction, a distinction in their field. And what is a distinction? It's that skill set, talent, what it is that you put forward in your particular field that has caused you to stand out from others. It doesn't mean that you're one of the few that has actually risen to the top of your field. What we're talking about O1 level is distinction. Green card is one of the few that has risen to the top of the field. But for O1, what makes you stand apart? And we got to really drill into those details. And it crosses, uh, it goes across so many uh, disciplines, so many fields, everything from tech, film, television, sports, um, IT, uh, security, uh, business, um, circus performers, <laughs> uh, gymnasts. I mean, you just the, the, the list goes on and on. If, if, if you're from a, a particular field and you stand out in the capabilities and skills that you have, you want to be chatting with an immigration lawyer about whether maybe the O-1 applies to you. So your firm works on several thousand O-1 cases every year. Correct. Over the years, you've probably met some pretty unique people. Yes. um, And a wide variety of abilities. Yes. Just for fun. Share with us some of the unique abilities that people have that might be a good fit for the the O-1. Sure, you know, one that a lot of people don't realize is actually social media influencers or e-sports people, um, those that are doing things online. Um, Actually, that qualifies under the O-1. And I wanna, I believe that we were one of the the first to actually file a social media influencer case and to comment um, with our um, colleagues at our conferences about actually how to execute them and successfully obtain these permits. Um, So I think that is a very interesting one. I would also say uh, for those, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, you have to be lead and critical in your field to be able to apply for an O-1, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be the best of the best. It, it For example, if you're a film television actor, you want to be have named acting roles with speaking roles, but it doesn't necessarily mean that all your credits have to be leads. The definition of lead and critical for the purposes of the O-1 is really, again, that distinction, you standing out from others. So we want to look at it from the immigration perspective, not always from the industry perspective. And so hopefully that helps to widen the the gamut for you. (laughs) Well, you know, immigration is in the news. It seems like 
every day mm-hmm. now, you mm-hmm. know, and not all of it is complimentary. You know, mm. we, we talk about the complexity and how long things are taken right. and stuff. If someone wanted to petition for like an 01, like what's the time frame for something like that? Is mm-hmm. that something that's super quick or takes years? Like how, how do they know? Yeah, what's that like? that's a great question. Um, and this goes to the importance of, of, of planning out the time frame, the period of which you're going to be doing your filing to the point where you want to be getting that job and working in the United States and then essentially moving. And I will just say before I jump into timelines, on the USCIS website, US immigration website, it states, do not sell your home, rent your property, really do anything until you get your visa in hand. Um, I, I We want to be, we want to be zealous. We want to be excited about this. We want to get into it and do all this work and everything. But you really shouldn't be um, uh, actually putting in motion moving plans until the job is done. Okay, so but anyway, going back to the timeframes. So for normal process cases right now on 01, so there's there's a published timeline, and then there's the timeline that we actually experience in practice. Um, again, another reason why you're going to want a lawyer, you know, assisting you that sees thousands of cases and and has this particular expertise. So um, I would say right now you're looking at anywhere from three months to ten, and it can even stretch up to a year. So normal process cases, that's where you're paying $460 to U.S. immigration and they are processing your case in the normal time frame. If you want to speed up that time frame, you can get your response within two weeks. Um, and that um, is 15 day calendar day turnaround from the point of the receipt um, the, that the officer receives the case and receipts the case. That's very important. So then you have the receipt, then you're counting the number of days from that day. Um, and um, and that, if you pay an extra $2,500 on top of the 460, then you can expedite it. Now, for those that are not Canadians, Mexicans, any country around the world, you have to do another step on top of that. So You you get that case filed with USCIS. Hopefully you don't get any questions asked on the case. But if you do, you work with your lawyer and they answer those follow-up questions, whatever they might be, and say you're then in the position that you've got your approval in hand. Yay. Now, the next step is consular. You have to actually go to a U.S. consulate that's close to where you live, and you have to make an application for an official visa stamp in your passport. And this is a vital step of the process. A lot of people don't think about that part. And you have to really think about what areas of the world you're living in and what the state of affairs is at that U.S. consulate. So right now, if you're coming from Russia, it would not be a good idea to try to make an application to the U.S. consulate in Moscow, obviously. Um, you, you, you know, if you're, um, if you're in the U.K., you want to be checking what their processing times are in order to get uh, a consular appointment. These fluctuate from time to time, and you might be in a situation where you need to have a conversation with your lawyer about where is best to have that interview. And um, this is why I think it's really important to also assess if your lawyer has expertise on the consular side, as well as the agency side, USCIS, because you might have to take a different approach depending on whatever country you're in. So definitely analytical. Now, some people 
um, I would say actually no many when I do um, when I do seminars and talks with groups of I just finished a whole series of talks with all the unions in Canada it was my pleasure and honor to do that from my to the actors union and what I uh, what I discovered is we asked these big groups hey have you guys ever had an issue with the guy with the badge and the gun meaning a customs officer at the border and like three quarters of the rim will put up their hand. <laughs> yes, yes, we have had issues. A lot of people have had issues when they've come in previously as visitors into America because these officers are doing their job. They're scrutinizing what you have online. They're checking to see what you've done previously. They're, they want to understand what your intent is when you come to the United States. Is your intent to um, temporarily um, visit the United States as a visitor, or is your intent maybe to try to work on the side? Um, they know what a land of opportunity America is for many people around the world, and they know that that temptation is there. I will say for a lot of influencers, social media influencers, um, many take advantage of that. They come in and they post um, on U.S. soil and they have U.S. clients. They have companies that they are they're toting their brands and, and they're getting paid. So the definition of local productive employment is that you're on U.S. soil doing some kind of activity on U.S. soil and then you're receiving an uh, a compensation either in the immediate and here's key or deferred. So what the officers are doing at the border and why so many people have issues at the border is because of that dig into the questioning and let's see if we can find anything on this person because we really want to make sure that they're really just coming in for a temporary time and then they're going back home and it's not to work. Um, and, and there can be other things that they're looking for too, any grounds of admissibility, um, you know, has there been cannabis usage anywhere that we can see drugs? Um, there's a number of screenings. So... There's so with that, you know, state, you know, set of comments I've made, it's going back to the O-1 visa process. When you look at the consular side and getting your interview done after you get your O-1 or, or um, P-1 or O-2, whatever <laughs> visa you're getting approved on the extraordinary ability side at the consulate, then you're getting your stamp. The next very important step is to actually enter the border. And a lot of people forget about this. They forget that there's another interview that happens at that stage too. And it's with a customer customs officer, a CBP customs and border protection officer who has great discretion to go, I'm looking at your history here and you know what? I don't think you should come in to turn you around. That can happen. That can absolutely happen. Another reason why you want to have a great legal professional that's analyzing your case, looking if there's been any issues in your past with any previous, like in the rooms or the unions and I, anyone had any issues. We need to know what those issues are. We need to know what those problems are. We need to dig into them so we can know what we can do to mitigate further risk for you when you're in this process. So I'm I, that's a very long-winded answer to no, your question. You, you mentioned some really <laughs> incredible things. I'm writing over here because okay. there's so many different places we could take some of that. Am I slightly passionate about what I do? <laughs> and extremely knowledgeable. I think people are picking up on that while you're here today, that's for sure. Um, you just mentioned uh, something that uh, I think people need to remember is that they need to tell you everything, mm -hmm. right? When they right. hire you. Tell me everything. You have to, <laughs> even if you don't want to talk yeah. about these things, yeah. 
it's going to come up. Right. Right. Indeed. So better Indeed. to prepare you now. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you also mentioned that there are fees associated with um, these visas that right. they pay the government and mm-hmm. then they can speed it up, which is yeah. great. What should they expect from attorney standpoint? I know you can only speak mm-hmm. kind of for your own firm, but I mean, if you think about other immigration firms across the U.S. Right, right. Um, so, OK, I, I every attorney is going to assess the case um, for the circumstances, um, its strength, what kind of level of work needs to be put in, all of that. So to some extent, each um, case is going to be individually assessed for the legal fees on that. There's going to be some standard filing fees that absolutely have to go with the case. Those are always the same, pretty much, um, depending on if you want to expedite or normal. But you also have to have a union opinion, and all the unions have fees, and those differentiate per each union. Um, legal fees, I would say, for the O1. I would be worried if a client told me for a basic O1 straight up actor film TV that it's or or a fashion model or something that it's over like ten thousand dollars. I would be like, okay, ooh, US. I would be like, ooh, that seems pretty high. Um, you get what you pay for. Um, my fees are not as high as ten thousand dollars. They are significantly less. Um, however you really get what you pay for in this field. And there you need to do your homework when you're picking the legal team you're gonna work with. I would hope that you work with a lawyer, that you have a lawyer on your team. And um, a lot of people get sort of sucked into this um, visa processing centers that exist where there is no lawyer. It's actually a bunch of paralegals, which is great. And in some countries like Canada, they can be certified and legal to process work and, and that's fine. In America, there is a certain extent of that, but I would still want to see a lawyer on the team there because there is a level of accountability that is unmatched. You know, yeah. you you are held to the account, the account of the state bar, obviously, and so um, and and I would I would do I would really do do my homework on that then in terms of like selecting you know the 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 team you work with. So yeah. Well, L- Lorraine, just summarize for our listeners. Who would be, when they're searching for an attorney to help with the L1, um, what should they ask about? Yeah, absolutely. So expertise. Um, So many areas of immigration, they really should be checking if they have that O1 extraordinary ability background. And you you need to ask yourself, what is the field that I'm in? Because extraordinary ability is also very large. So is my background in entertainment? Is it in tech? Is it in science? Is it, and check to see whether that attorney has filed cases of that nature for extraordinary ability and how many. And And not one or two where I've done it before. Thousands. Yeah. I mean, for me, our firm tends to average around 2,000 a year, a minimum. Um, And that allows us to see a certain amount of patterns and flow with U.S. immigration. We're also very active members of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, and there's a very special group within that organization which focuses on extraordinary ability. But I know attorneys that only do, for example, extraordinary ability in just sports, or they only do it in, mm. in film television. Or Great point. I mean, for us, we have an organization of some 60 incredible legal professionals with many of them having backgrounds also in these fields. So they really understand 
what it's like to um, have to put together these types of applications with portfolios in a very convincing manner. Um, so I would say first check to see what the the that attorney's um, background is, what how many cases they filed, um, what tends to be their approval rate. Um, I wouldn't be doing it based on percentage. I just get a feeling for what it is. Um, and, um, or maybe you could ask how many requests for additional evidence they sometimes get. So follow-up questions on cases. And I would also really hone in on what, what their experience is with the consular side for extraordinary ability, as well as at the border. Uh, whether you should be traveling by land, whether you should be flying, what port you should be going, what, what airline would be good to take. Um, I, this, these things for me matter for my clients. So, um, so I would be addressing those questions as you're going through your mental checklist. Yeah, and with the risk involved, like we talked about, and how small the window is that you're extraordinary from a world-class standpoint, you better choose the right immigration attorney if you want a shot at making this work quickly. Right, right? indeed. So now you can certainly see, listeners, why we're so blessed to have Lorraine with us today to talk about the O-1. If people have more questions mm -hmm. or would like to talk to you or maybe have a consultation, how could they reach you? Um, let's go to our website, D-A-L-E-S-S-I-O D-A-L-E-S-S-I-O.law. Excellent. It'd be a wise move, people. Thank you for listening today. Lorraine D'Alessio, thank you so much for, for making the trip My and pleasure. spending time with us and educating our fan base. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. This podcast has been prepared for general information purposes only and is not legal advice. This information is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship.